Hi, friends. This is All Heart. I'm your host, Paul Cardall. Thank you to the American Songwriter Podcast Network for making this podcast available worldwide. And thank you for joining me. Last week, we spoke with Elaine Bradley. She's the popular drummer for the multi-platinum-selling band Neon Trees. Elaine talked about serving a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This led her to Provo, Utah, where she joined Neon Trees. Today, you'll hear from Tyler Glenn, the lead singer of Neon Trees, who also had ties to the same church as Elaine. In 2014, at age 30, Rolling Stone magazine revealed to the world Tyler's sexuality. He released a solo album called Excommunication. Tyler got a phone call from Imagine Dragons lead singer Dan Reynolds, who also had ties to Utah and the same church. Dan invited Tyler to co-found Love Loud Festival, a concert designed to ignite the relevant and vital conversation of what it means to unconditionally love, understand, accept, and to support our LGBTQ youth in our communities. I was fortunate last year to perform at Love Loud with Ty Herndon, and I met Tyler Glenn. We became friends, and this is a man who has so much kindness in his heart. I'm excited to share him with you. He truly is all heart. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Hey, good to see you. I met you at Love Loud last year. What's happening this year? Well, you know, we had the planned festival and then it turned into an online thing. And then sort of like everyone's kind of tired on the on online hang. Um, and then it's Pride Month as well. So, and then the Black Lives Matter movement has uh, become refocused and that's really important to us. And I think, so we are having Love Loud talks every week, highlighting, um, you know, black artists, highlighting uh, young queer kids that live in Utah. And I just did one and it broke my heart because there's just so much, there's so much courage in the youth right now. And like, you know, I didn't come out till I was 30 and I guess I consider that late. And I'm just astonished by the courage of 13 to 16 year olds, LGBT kids that just find, find what they are and decide to declare it right away versus this whole waiting game that I sort of subscribe to. And I don't have any regret in that. That's my walk. But at the same time, it's it's super profound when you hear from, you know, an, a 12 year old uh, trans boy that's suffering from depression, but has is has found himself already. And that's, you know, I could never be as courageous, even though I I've helped people or or reached certain people and with my music. And, you know, so it's very, uh, it's very profound when you get to talk to the youth and you feel like, okay, hopefully it's in good hands when, you know, the future and everything. So, well, and that's the irony is you had to go into isolation and not really communicate who you truly were designed to be. Yeah. And, uh, Yet now, because of people like you who have really kind of been sacrificial lambs, Mm. I would think that the movement of Love Loud and everything that you and Dan Reynolds, lead singer of Imagine Dragons, have done, that alone is enough to give hope, particularly because you guys have those connections to Utah. And, uh, you know, most of my audience is probably wondering right now, you know, we're talking about Utah, we're talking about your sexuality because it's been a big part yeah. of your career. One of the greatest albums that I feel has been done to bring awareness in such a profound way to what I consider religious liberty and awareness of 
our brothers and sisters who are LGBTQ is, is excommunication. Faith, please have a little in me. Hey, I know you hate it when I stray, but this I was, was this a carefully orchestrated album or was this on an impulse of frustration? I mean, 2014, I came out, uh, we had put a record out called Pop Psychology. It was our third album as, as Neon Trees. And I had written the record and I knew what I was sneaking in, like the messages into the pop songs. And I love that record, but it didn't speak to what I was really feeling. It, it was still like, I, I had written the record, we'd recorded it, we'd produced it, put it out. And then I was like, I need to come out. Like I need, I need to find uh, peace, you know? Um, so I came out in Rolling Stone, they did a feature, it was amazing, but I was still adhering and hold, carrying water per se to my belief system that I still didn't find a place in, but I still believed was true. I liked that I was representing a space in Mormonism where you could be gay and also believe in the teachings of the church, you know? And I, I think at that point too, like I look back at it, it's been, you know, six years since I came out and it's, you can look at it and go like, okay, I kind of, I know I was cafeteria Mormon. There's all these like terms, but I, I know I was like picking, but I still believed that it was the true church and it. And I, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to represent like, Hey, you don't have to throw out your entire upbringing and belief system and also embrace your identity. I think what happened was I, I increasingly over the next couple of years, it realized there wasn't a space, at least at that time right. for LGBT people within, within that faith and with it in a lot of faiths. Um, and so I, you know, I think it was a culmination of really specific things that happened in my life, uh, policies that were enacted, language that was enacted to sort of limit me. And I felt like coming out was going to be the thing that would blow the doors open and I'd be able to like be free finally. And I still felt confined. And so as a LGBT person or as a gay man, I feel like you look forward to the day you come out and then that's it. And it, for me, it was like coming out and then coming out, not, not sort of subscribing anymore to the faith system that I believed in or, or wanting to shake it up. Right. And then this, this sort of, you know, crisis of faith happened to me and I, and I just, you know, you said it, it was a bit reckless. It was a bit as, it was a, as unplanned and planned, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but it was like, I, I knew I had this opportunity to make a record that was backed by a major label that I had access to producers mm -hmm. that I could really pour my heart and soul into that I also considering the three of members of Neon Trees were still in different spaces with Mormonism as well. And I knew I could make a record under my name that spoke completely authentically to what, what I was feeling. I didn't have to like consider, because I am a considerate person. I didn't want to sure. offend. And then you realize you put a record out and you still are going to shock and offend and, and maybe like, just like sort of wake up maybe people in your life and your sphere. So, but I'm like, I look back at that record now and I'm like, I was writing, you know, what I thought would be a mainstream pop record. And I realized it was actually a record speaking to a really niche audience. It's and that, and f four years later, I'm like, I'm so stoked that I had the opportunity to write that record. And, and it's found so many more meaningful spaces 
um, that I could have than I could have imagined at the time. So, well, there are albums that speak to movements more than radio, airplay, and you know the commercialism. And this clearly is a soundtrack to a movement. That's what's so fascinating about the recording. There is a famous uh, Latter Day Saint scholar, Terrell Givens. Yeah, of course. And Terrell speaks to exactly what you just mentioned is that we have to come to a point in our life where we take everything we were given from our parents, from our culture, our community, and we got to put it all on a table and then we got to just clear it all off, just wipe the table clean and then start putting back the pieces that we actually believe that we hope to be correct. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm curious if there's any, any of those pieces that you've kept on the table. It's been six years since I came out and, and three and a half to four years since I put that record out. And I really sincerely separated myself from the, from that faith expression. Um, You know, I, it's, it's been a lot of healing and I don't get a lot of opportunities. I think there's still people that think I'm the angry guy with the red X on my face, which is fine because I think those uncomfortable feelings that, that anger is still a feeling that we need to look at and acknowledge because it's a human feeling. And, sure. you know, there's still moments where I'm like frustrated, but I, I also, I think, you know, to circle back even to the love loud, um, foundation and and my experience with that it's been a healing process to just realize i know that i spoke to a certain group you pretty much hit a nerve because this is a topic that is big because utah obviously the headquarters of the church of jesus christ latter-day saints which is the lds church we're no longer calling it the mormon church this is a place where we have had a lot of anxiety depression particularly suicide among uh, LGBTQ. My best friend, Chris Beers, who worked for President Boyd K. Packer, and then later he worked for him as a gay man. And then later he went and worked at uh, the University of Utah, but he ended up taking his life mm. because his struggle was he loved Joseph Smith. He loved everything. You know, funny enough, about Joseph. I had propped, I had propped him up as this heroic heroic figure too and i that's why that video i made trash for that song trash had those images specifically because i think joseph smith was the thing that converted me on my mission and i i felt um betrayed in a way and i don't i don't know if that makes sense to everyone watching but i there was just this like belief that i believed so much that kind of made a blockade in my mind and i just i think for me, I'm happy that I've found life outside of that. And I do want to represent that walk of people that like aren't continually trying to find revenge for the church or, sure. or revenge on the church or sort of continually perpetually sad. I think that's the image that a lot of people see that leave the churches that they're sort of wandering and searching the rest of their life. And for me, like, I think that's just a human struggle in general. And I'm happy that I've found like there is no ceiling to the growth that I can have or understanding of others or how this world works or, or what is really out there. And um, for me, I found as a, you know, as a gay man and also just as a, as a person that didn't always fit into any circle, I've found a lot of space outside of that. And in turn, it's made me see like 
give given space for me to listen to like other people's stories just like listening and and uh understanding oh you know getting to the core and the heart of the matter and so i i do have a lot of love for mormons and for like the community mm-hmm. because it, weirdly enough like i i guess i am mormon in, in, in a sense because culturally that's my my upbringing and i sure. i chose to i chose to put that in a different in a different way uh as i continue in my life but i i still recognize so much uh so much that you can't put blame on a certain person or, or a group of people just like we're seeing in culture right now there's just systems there's things that are outdated there's ideas that maybe don't apply anymore and for me if i can be moving forward any sort of sign like hey it's okay to like have questions and ask questions and try to understand because i think that's the at least right now that's the point of life for me i don't have a full sense of the afterlife or who's watching down but i also haven't thrown everything out like maybe initially i did i think i'm reassembling so it's it's an interesting but i don't feel as much pressure to know everything anymore which is cool let me ask you about the song john give him hell you know at the time i had i had um really leaned on a few specific excommunicated mormon stories uh, I, I, and it, it made a lot of profound sense to me um, when I, you know, at first I was like, oh, I'm really sad that they had to leave the church or that they thought different things or that they were a fallen member of our community. And then in turn, I go like, oh, I'm going through that now. And here's somebody that has created a podcast to give other people's other people that are going through the same struggle of voice. So I leaned really hard into the podcast Mormon stories by John Dillon. At first it was like, I, I was like, I'm really inspired by this person that was wounded and decided to like start up. Like, I think for me, he was seen as this like kind of bad evil person. I really got to know him well. Right. And I'd written this song almost just like a tech. I remember texting him, him to it. And then it like really took on a life because I think the word, the name John can be kind of, in, you know, John Doe, like it's sort of like in place of everybody. Initially, it was just like seeing someone that had been positioned in a certain way to me and then realizing, oh, it's a, there's so much nuance to everybody and complexity. And so writing that song, I think initially, but I didn't plan to record it for the record. And I, I think I just liked the tune of it. And it completely became this other thing when we went to go put it on the record and, um, and in, in turn, I, I, it's some of some people's favorite song. And I I recorded it and sang it for that record in the thought of like, this could be any anybody's sort of journey for feeling misunderstood. And um, yeah. yeah. John, they got you all wrong. So through this song. You know, I heard a, I heard a great quote and i don't know it exactly but it's basically there are poets and there are prophets and the prophets try to tell us what god is saying but the poets tell everybody what the people are feeling king david was a musician he was a musician he was a very passionate man because saul couldn't feel god so he'd ask david to play and so i always find it fascinating um my upbringing i bring in scripture into everything hey you know i think to me like I've even been able to realign scripture and go like, you know, those are, those were 
people feeling things that you, I love that you like, yeah, they were our, you know, we now have, you know, pop stars <laughs> telling us how to navigate through life. But I think it's an interesting thing to kind of real go like, you know, those, those words still existed and those things were written and I've kind of reframed those things for me as well. So you did this album and then out of nowhere, you're asked to do Broadway. Yeah, I well, I got the opportunity to audition. Um, okay. So I, I want to put it out there. I, I did have to still like go to that scary room where people are waiting outside with their sides and have to like audition to the director of the show. Uh -huh. And I was nervous as I'll get out, but I, I, I did my thing and got the lead in um, the show Kinky Boots. <coughs> Excuse me, now I'm getting all emotional. Yeah. <laughs> Kinky Charlie Boots. Price, you got to be Charlie Price. I got to be Charlie Price. Yeah. And yeah, uh, so that was two years ago now. Um, got to move to New York and be on Broadway, which was like this thing that I was told a lot as a kid or even in, in the band, like you should, I think you'd be really good on in a musical. And, and quite honestly, I, I say I'm a bad gay gay guy because I, I don't know enough um, musicals as I should. Like I know like the, the hierarchy of like musicals, but I'm, it's, I don't know the culture as well as I probably should. You're going to the wrong parties. <laughs> going to the wrong parties. And probably, well, uh, what happened, Kinky Boots was actually one of the shows I did know and just was like authentically a fan of. And it was also a special time. I took my mom to see that a couple of years prior to even getting the role. And it was a beautiful night for me and my mom. And um, for those that don't know the show, it's basically about this man that's lost his father and inherits a business and has to figure out how to keep the business going, but has no sense of how to do it. And he meets a drag queen that changes his whole outlook on life and saves the business. And it's, you know, intrinsically, it's about uh, coming to terms with your, I don't know, your, just yourself as well and your purpose. And um, it's such a joyful, well-written show. And it was, it, it literally healed a ton of wounds, just being able to do that eight times a week for, you know, four months, five months. Your mom was there. Watching. She came a lot. She came a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Had, I felt so supported. And it, just to contrast between the couple of years of pain, releasing that, the excommunication record, and then trying to just find where I fit in. Because I, I think even though like I was releasing records and getting to do my dream, I still... I still every day had to wake up and go like, how am I going to do this? Like, I'm still just as human, much a human being as everyone. So it's like still this, like, yeah. even now in quarantine, I'm like, I'm figuring out, you know, how do I apply all these tools to make sure I'm getting up and seizing the day. So. Did you get nervous when you were about, you know, at the beginning of every day when you had to do the kinky boots? Were you nervous? Yes. Not every day, but, uh, you're thrust into Broadway boot camp. Like it's three weeks of rehearsals and you're learning, you know, a two and a half hour show and you're like the lead and it's, uh, and you realize how much blocking and how many, like I had done stage work as a kid, but I, I, I found love in rock and roll and punk rock. So I didn't, I didn't keep in with, with that side of myself and, you just learn how every beat and every moment is just planned so that the show is presented to the audience in the way it is. And it was a really, really educational, scary, challenging, refiner's fire, if you want to go back to uh, 
your choice. The religious talk, but honestly, like it was like you're doing amazing. All right, do you think you'll do more Broadway? Um, I never want to like boast that like, oh yeah, it might be something I do again. But I, I, it's something I genuinely, uh, you know, adored and and found. Oh, I do have a knack for it if I'm if I'm really putting myself to it. And I think it's finding the right show. You know, afterwards I had made connections where it was like maybe writing music for a show. I think in some way, I think that ex- that expression of, you know, I don't know where theater is going to be after this whole situation in, in the world right now, but I I know um, for me, like it's, it's something that I feel really comfortable in in that world. And I, I'd love to find other ways to, to be on. I'm sure the next time you go to those other parties, the fact that you were in Broadway, these men are just like delicate for you now. <laughs> it's a fun thing to say. Uh, even just being in in New York and like, you know, going to a social event during the time and saying, Yeah, oh yeah, I'm in a show right now. <laughs> and just being like it was a nice uh that's like what? Yeah, so it, it's kinda cool. That's amazing. Tell me about your relationship with Dan Reynolds, because you guys there's obviously the documentary people want to watch, uh, Believer that HBO has about Love Loud and how that all came about. But did you know Dan when Imagine Dragons was playing the Valor in Provo? Did you I know- did. Okay. It's funny, like, um, because our, I mean, not to get too, like, inside baseball about it, but, like, it's very, uh, like, you know, our, his family is also kind of like an entertainment family and in entertainment law and um, in Vegas. And I, you know, our bass player, Brandon, is from Vegas as well. So there were already like a lot of connections. Um, You know, Ronnie from The Killers essentially saw us at a show and asked us to go tour. And I wouldn't say he's responsible for our career, but I think he was a a leg up. And Ronnie's uh, manager is Robert, who is Dan's brother. And so, and then Robert became our lawyer. So there's a lot of ties and i i remember seeing imagine dragons when you know they were quote unquote a byu band and like you know played completely different music and and uh we were neon trees also playing kind of completely different music at the time too it was you know it was it was cool and then you know our band did our thing and then their band shortly after did you know their incredible thing as well and um we had seen each other like you know, at that point at like radio things or, um, you know, a Grammy after party or something, but it was never like, I think there was even kind of like a bit of uh, an unsaid Rivalry. rift, even though I, I don't think either of us really purely felt it. I think we just, there was this unsaid like thing and he had reached out uh, and to apologize. And I was like, I didn't expect an apology from you, but he had been watching as he says on the sidelines and sort of just seeing like, wow, here's, here's your story out there. You're doing this record. You're going through so much pain publicly. And he felt, he felt bad that he was just kind of a bystander in that. I don't think that's what completely fuels love loud, but I think it was a component and I really appreciated that he was even paying attention. Um, Cause I think when I was doing that, I didn't feel like anyone, I felt so isolated and so in my feelings, even though I felt, now like i've been supported the whole time by a lot of people but um and it was just an incredible gesture and i think he just had this really pure 
want, I think he was going, I won't speak for him, but he was definitely going through like a, a, a bit of a faith crisis in his own right. And sure. just wanting to know where can I put this amazing platform that I have with my band? Where can I put this, this power? Um, and he chose not only just an LGBT, um, you know, charity or a foundation, but he wanted to make one of his own and really spotlight it on the people of Utah. Like it was very going back to his own roots as well. And, um, you know, that was just a powerful thing. And I, we immediately met up in, in LA and like started planning a festival and it was, uh, you know, since then it's, we're in a potentially our fourth year, even though this year is yeah, sort yeah. of flux. Clearly Dan started a movement yeah. for Utahns but not just Utahns, uh, Latter-day Saints around the world who are uh, LGBTQ in an effort to try to get the church to change the policy. And, uh, you know, it's, it was amazing when I went to Love Loud and to watch you in your element, the way that you walked out on stage, mm. beautifully choreographed, uh, so much power in the way that you were able to walk to that stage. Everyone paying very close attention you know they talk about how in another venue you could hear a pin drop you could hear a pin drop at that wow. moment, and it was so beautiful and you sang somewhere over the rainbow i wish i was playing the piano uh for you at the time but uh it was an absolute beautiful thing because you guys brought so much love and i felt it so strongly and it was interesting because after i did that i had several people ask me if i had left just an interesting like like the the indicator that you had participated in love about or or appreciate yeah. love about maybe you had interesting yeah because i had written you know i'd written a hymn with one of the apostles i had to educate them on the fact that you know my own belief is that there's no respecter of persons christ covers everybody i know this is an interview an interview but thank you for giving me that experience and my wife tina absolutely adores you and just the whole thing brought so much perspective to me and my friends that have died as a result. Oh, uh, wow. Thank the pressure, you. The pressure of not being able to be themselves and still love within the community unconditionally. Uh, they were denied that. You guys, the neon trees, you have a, you know, and I spoke to Elaine in another episode. She told me the story of, I was asking all about the bands that, BYU and the, the phenomenon of velour. And it's not a Seattle, it's not an LA with the heavy metal bands, but it is something unique about Provo, Utah, of all places. And uh, I joked about Provo is famous because of Fletch. <laughs> the, the Chevy Chase movie. <laughs> Chevy Chase movie because he had to go investigate in Provo. He said, Provo, Spain. She's all, no, Provo, Utah. And he's like, call, choose out his boss that he's got to go to Provo uh, to investigate the Kavanaugh's. Anyways, so, so you guys, you've got all these bands that come out of BYU or connected to BYU. Or Do you think that kind of energy is still happening down there? Or is it kind of just a moment that's come and gone? It's weird because I, you know, I do think about it occasionally still. And I, I, I mean... I reflect on my life a lot. So that's just a, such a big part of it. I don't, I can't speak to like the current, you know, currently I don't, I think Fuller is probably struggling because venues can't even exist. But I think even a year ago, I couldn't speak to the current music scene. Um, I know that it's still going. I think a lot of it just has to do with the amazing heart and soul of, of Corey Fox and 
the people that he surrounds himself with. He's the owner of Valor. Right. Um, he he cultivated he absolutely cultivated a scene at least you know from 2005 to I don't know when the demarcation was, but I you know when I moved there it was like a month before Valor was even opening and I had just gotten back from my mission and mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily go, I didn't go to school there. I didn't go to uh, even like really, you know, find, you know, a life there. It was more just like my guitar player had moved there from California. I was like, all right, well, I'm going to chase you down and bring you back to LA so we can get a music career going. And then he realized, you know, it was a teaching moment for me, even at like 21, like going like, you don't have to be from LA or New York or a big city with a music scene. And I, I'd found immediately like, what an amazing venue. It's all ages. It doesn't have a bar. So kids that go have to like really pay attention to who's on stage. And it's not just a social space. And, yeah. and it just created this really incredible music scene for my experience for a, a few years where I was, and I think since, obviously, since we even left and went on to go do things. Um, so, yeah, it, it's an integral part of our story for sure. And it's funny that like Provo, like Provo, Utah is, is, is that, that uh, big of our, our, of our history, but it is, you know, and there are yeah. so many artists that are top selling artists that have ties to Utah and the industry has never really taken a, a nice look at it but you have multi-platinum selling artists from you guys to piano guys to you know my brand to lindsey sterling to all these people they've come in all these bands the fictionists the used uh royal bliss back in the day yeah you have all these amazing bands and no one's ever really taken a look but i do think that the velour was is so unique because yeah it's not a bar it's just a venue anyone can go feel safe and hear these this amazing music and no it's true it's interesting i know there's a lot of people that feel the same way about kind of its importance yeah uh, in creating a few modern really modern bands we have a lot of people in nashville that have come out of byu that are songwriting that are in the business that are and so it's, it's interesting to, to watch because you know i grew up here in utah and i was big into music i you know i, I slept out at the smith so i could get front row to Depeche Mode. Incredible. And uh, I never got front row. <laughs> I didn't know how it worked. But I thought if I sleep out and hang out with everybody else dressed in black, we're going to end up getting our Depeche Mode. There is an interesting like love of that era of music within Mormons, like erasure even. Like when I go to a, like yeah. so many Mormons love erasure. I don't know what the tie is. Well, we're going to speculate right now. <laughs> okay. But I think it's because we were always taught homosexuality is wrong. Okay, yeah. We had Park West, which was the ski mountain, and we had all the bands come from England. We had Erasure, you know, and Yaz came before that, Alison Moyet. Yeah, that, that, uh, Upstairs at Eric's is probably my favorite, favorite synth pop rock record of all that time. That is <laughs> an album. Uh, yeah. That, all of Yaz, only you, all the, but then Erasure, we had Depeche Mode come all the time. We had the Pet Shop Boys. They're still going strong. Yeah. You're saying all of these bands that are my formative loves. Yeah. So. Talking Heads, all you know, all these B-52s, all these bands. I think that it was so interesting because I remember the first time Martin Gore from Erasure. He came out on stage to this massive LDS audience 
of teenagers and he he's wearing a frock and then he goes into the story of how his he had to tell his mother that he's you know one day he's going to grow up and he's going to be gay and uh his mother's so ashamed and she and and he says you know all i want from you is just a little respect and then he went into respect (laughs) and we went nuts we all went nuts we were like that is so awesome that he's willing to speak up to his mother you know, that's what we were thinking as teenagers. And we could accept it on stage. Well, it's that interesting, too, where you're taught you feel a spirit and you probably felt the spirit. You probably felt something sort of joy. not to be not to be disrespectful, but it's probably just this feeling of like this feels right. They obviously influenced your writing a lot. Yeah. Listening to Neon Trees, I hear a lot of Depeche Mode. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I was born in 1983. And so I wasn't I was still a you know, a child growing up in the 80s, I wasn't really exposed that that was the era of music that spoke to me. And I think it was probably a lot of artists, like you're saying, who spoke to, you know, a counterculture, or there was a bit of that during that decade too, of just like bands that played with um, gender and played with expression. And I, I just, you know, Morrissey, for example, was just like, he's speaking my language, even though now, like I have feelings where, maybe he set me back because I'm not as pessimistic as he is. And he's turned out to be kind of a grumpy old man, <laughs> but I, have you met Morrissey? Um, I have this sincere belief to not meet your heroes. Um, I, I stood next to Bruce Springsteen, who's another hero of mine. Uh, when I was on, on Broadway and we were, we walked a few blocks and he was listening to headphones and I didn't bring up, bring the courage to, to say a word. Cause I knew, that he would just be, I'm annoyed that I was some fan on the street. So <laughs> wisdom that uh, maybe you could have shared with Elaine when she's running down the stairs to meet. I know. Yeah, I know. Jodie Foster because she looks like Jodie Foster. Well, there is that sort of level. Yeah, there is that level playing field while you're in the backstage of a of a TV show or something where you're you feel like okay, um, maybe that's a safe spot to go meet yeah. Yeah. meet one of your heroes. But let's talk about this new album that comes out july 24th yeah i can feel you forgetting me there's a lot of discussion of isolation and loneliness in this yeah we've got american songwriter we've written an article about it right after i got out off broadway um i came home for like probably nine weeks you know the second year of love loud happened so i got to do that and then I immediately said, I want to use all of this uh, this refreshment that I have and this this energy and, and go right into a Neon Trees record. And, and I knew I, it was a Neon Trees record. I didn't want to do, I wanted to, to write with my band again. And um, so I was just booking sessions. And so it was probably the summer of two or September of 2018 that I s- started writing it. And it was the first record in four records since the first one that I got to like, have the space to just like write and yeah. not necessarily know exactly what I was saying. Um, so I probably wrote around 40 songs and, 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 you know, by the end of 2018, beginning mid 2019, I realized what I was writing and saying and expressing and, and then the, the body work started to hone, but um, it is a record about confronting codependency in relationships. And I, I had realized, even just getting out of Utah and going to New York and doing something else 
was a break for me. And I real and I, you know, anytime you get to like kind of get that moment where you get to look at something and re reframe it, even if it's just like a month ago, hopefully you can take that and be inspired to like move forward instead of regress. Um, and I, I just wanted to write a record about that feeling of, um, it's not even an enlightenment record. I think it's just like going through that feeling of codependency and like living, you know, right now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm single. I, I've worked a lot on myself and, and purposefully kept myself from being in relationships because I wanted to be a fully formed, healthy person. And I don't know when the, when the time is where I can like, you know, the last year and a half, two years of my life has been that. And I think that's what this record is. It's, it's, so in that way, I'm, I'm really stoked that again, here's another record I can write about uncomfortable themes or themes that I may be unflattering, but yeah, I never want to sound too enlightened on a record. I always want to sound like I'm kind of going through it. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you've got a song called mess me up. It's my favorite song on the record. Yeah. What's the name of the one you just uh, released? It's, it's called it? New New Best Friend. And I'm just, I've been living with this body work now probably too long. And it's, so it's like going to be nice to just like give it to someone else. Get it, get it out. Get <laughs> That's it out. right. That's beautiful. I look forward to, to hearing it. The thing I want to ask is if there are individuals out there who are struggling what advice do you have for them? Is there a, a, do you direct them to a particular website? What can you offer people that are struggling? Like I could easily say, like, if you're struggling with your sexuality, come out, you'll be happier. But I also realize some people aren't in a space in their lives where they're going to be surrounded by people that support them. And I think that was an important thing for me. I think do things in your own time and take the pressure off. I think there are a world of uh, tools and people and communities. I mean, that's something what I love about the internet is that there is access to so many other people that you can find solace in. Um, I know the internet gets damned all the time. I'm one that hates it. I have a love-hate relationship with with social media as well. But I, I would just say like, I'm somebody that like, didn't come out till I was 30 and then didn't really fully start living until probably three or four years ago. Like when I say that, it's like fully like really just in my body and like proud of making my choices. I'm alive again. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just saying like, um, you got to give time to find out what's going to happen. And it's that moment and that day where you're just having the worst day of your life that I still, I'll still, from week to week have those days like you just it's worth waiting around to see what's next i can't put myself in your shoes and i know i'm not speaking to every walk of life because there's things that people are going through that i couldn't even imagine but i for me it's like just finding finding even just a couple people that you can reach out to a couple things that can boost your spirits yeah um and most importantly like a lot of a lot of the power is inside of you. Like I know I was taught to seek outward a lot, but I think there's a lot inside of you and you kind of know, you kind of know what's good for you. And I think just paying attention to yourself. And if that's what you do during however long we're doing this self-isolation thing, if that's what you spend your time doing, don't beat yourself up about it. I think finding, 
finding the space to learn about yourself is awesome and we don't always get that time so you know i i know i speak from a place of privilege and luxury but i i do uh i do know from firsthand experience that i'm a completely different person than even you know two years ago and that's because i've allowed myself to just keep going and keep learning so i don't know if that's well, you the look, best answer but it's hope you look you know? good you're thanks you're healthy you're putting out amazing music you're living the dream thanks my friend yeah, yeah. trying <laughs> really, well, you really are and you know it's the climb as a, it is the climb as wonderful miley friend says <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's it is true and, the, and then the last thing you know this is a podcast about people who are all heart this is why you're on this program you are a man who is all heart you are doing so much to help people feel alive again who are feeling death inside yeah what do you hope a hundred years from now what do you hope people remember about tyler glenn Ooh. <laughs> um i hope that they remember that i i i i was someone that um was empathic um and someone that cared about what I put out and um, that had a fearlessness about him. And I, I have to remind myself of that too um, all the time, but I, I hope that, yeah, I hope that at, at, when I'm long gone that at least a legacy will be of um, authenticity. And that's important to me. Um, that makes me think of like how many we live in this culture where we're trying to to cancel and sort of remove people from society for saying something and i i i just want to put out there that there should be space for growth and space for um the human experience and i hope that i was someone that spoke to that and tyler thank you so much uh thanks paul people want you have a you have a website clearly Yes, neonstreets.com, or you can see me, Tyler in a coma, is on all the social media, or Tyler Glenn. Hey, well, I appreciate you being on All Heart, man. You are a good man. All Thanks for including me. And we love you, so keep carrying on. Thanks, Paul. All right, buddy. We'll talk. All right. Okay, bye. Talk soon, my friend. All Heart with Paul Cardall goes beyond the typical interview podcast to dive deep into life's biggest issues. Born with a congenital heart defect and a heart transplant recipient, Paul has a unique perspective that facilitates powerful, educational, and engaging conversations about overcoming obstacles and making the impossible possible. With his second chance at life, the pianist wants to give people hope and a sense of calm through his music. Beyond that, he is seeking to shine a light on the powerful voices of others. His guests truly define what it means to be all heart. They share with us what drives them, what keeps them carrying on in the face of adversity, and how they strive to do their best and make the world a better place. Paul is proud to share his conversations with you here on the American Songwriter Podcast Network.